This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and our podcast comes to you from our Weatherworks headquarters here in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And joining me for this week's episode is my fellow weather prophet, Mike Mahalik. Hello, Michael. <sighs> weather prophet, huh? Reaching yeah. back to the Bible, I, I see. Uh, is that what we're going with here? Or... I don't know. <laughs> you won't find a prophet Mahalik. I'm always with those funny descriptions, but I figure I give everyone a break. You know, I'm not that funny, but I like to think that I am sometimes at least. Yeah, a lot of people think you're funny. I know. Funny looking. <laughs> but all right. Anyway, Mike, you know what? We continue to draw a good audience when we do these weather terms podcasts. So, uh, you know, we're here now with part three yeah i know part three that's that's great i mean i'm i'm so happy that our listeners are so interested in in these weather terms and we we cover a lot of terms and i, I think we're gonna we're gonna go over a bunch more uh this time today yeah we need somebody to help us out with this though right yeah bring him in where's mike priante hi what's up hey guys? hi hey. i'm here <laughs> you want to do a podcast today I don't know. Uh, I just woke up. Oh, you're supposed to be busy listening to the podcast and getting ready to edit it, you know, with all your <laughs> producing. Uh... Yeah, you know, I guess. Well, no, anyway. Um, no, I'm excited for another. Uh, I love these uh, these episodes. The weather term episodes are my favorites. Um, I think it's because, well, we have a lot of terms we talk about. And I think there's stuff that many of you probably don't know or didn't know about, uh, for example, uh, you know, just a, an example term here like wind shear. I bet nobody knew what wind shear is, you know, but after this episode, you will. So stick around and uh, we'll definitely get to that. But uh, I think uh, the first term will be started by brad is that right i think we're each going to do one term that we've already covered before um just to kind of get a bit of a review and then uh, we'll, we'll bring on a few new ones also and and these are going to be you know more favoring the warm season now that we're headed into uh you know we're, we're in the middle of april now and of course uh, the severe weather aspect is going to become more of a topic here going forward than eventually you know, hurricane season as we get further into into summer so um here's a term that we have not used yet before and you may have heard it it's called an anvil and it's not what you would think it would be Ooh, calling um, me yeah well <laughs> <laughs> it's the thing that wiley coyote dropped on uh, exactly. the roadrunner right from from acme acme company yeah, and yeah. they would always bring the end how, how did he think by the way that he may would put up a type or tight rope and would walk across there with an anvil and that would work explain to me how he thought that would work some strong, uh, some strong. You know, a lot of people may not even know what we're talking about, Mike. I'm sorry. I know uh, what maybe. you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, those cartoons are great. Of course, the wire's gonna break. I mean, come on. Anyway, sorry, I, Brad. I like when Coyote. I know we're getting. I know we're getting off the. <laughs> I, I loved when Coyote would talk, though. He was very smart and he was intelligent. Ah, Coyote, yeah. There was Coyote. that. There was that one episode super where super genius. Yeah, he talked to like Bugs Bunny or something, and he was trying to catch him. Yeah, and he was super smart. Yeah. All right. Well, we're, again, we're, we're let, let's get back to weather. Here. All right, Anvil though. We're gonna go with weather Anvil, and what we're talking about is if you ever seen a really big thunderstorm in the middle of summertime, and we're talking ones that like get above 40, 50,000 feet. Sometimes they don't even get that high in the Northeast. I mean, but we see this sometimes and what it's actually called is cumulonimbus incus and incus is the Latin term for anvil. And what happens is the clouds here in the troposphere, they get so high. And what happens is they go as far as they can. Basically, you need cold air aloft to get a good thunderstorm. And usually that means we get the instability and allows for these thunderheads to get 40, 50, sometimes even 60,000 feet up into the atmosphere. However, it's going to hit a, a point where it can't go any higher. And it actually hits the tropopause where the stratosphere begins. And really what happens, in essence, the air begins to warm again. It's still pretty cold. It's still below freezing. But 
at the same time, the clouds don't want to go any higher and they kind of hit a ceiling, if you will, and they get spread out. And what it looks like is you get this big thunderstorm. Then all of a sudden you get this kind of like anvil looking cloud way up top there. And it kind of gets spread out along the ceiling of the atmosphere, if you will. And that kind of takes on that anvil shape. And it really significant, significant uh, signifies, wow, signifies the thunderstorm is at its mature stage. And uh, it's, you know, basically as strong as it's going to get. Have you guys ever seen an anvil? Yeah, 100%. Seen, yeah. I like how they get thin and wispy and, you know, they really spread out yeah. the top there. I mean, it's very uh, interesting looking. Um, you know, even... You know, there's a lot of things that can happen in those big thunderstorms that you can see. And sometimes you can see like striations in like a rotating cell and stuff like that, too. But, you know, yeah, Anvil is a is just a classic uh, feature of a strong thunderstorm. And, and, sure. and, to, and to put it in, the, I guess, maybe uh, the listener's terms a little bit better. I mean, everyone knows, you know, 40, 50, 60,000 feet is pretty high. But, you know, we're kind of talking about five to nine miles high. Can you imagine a cloud that's like eight miles high? I mean, that's just like... You know that's crazy, but that's that's about how high they get. Even even higher as you get into some of those big storms out in the plains, and it's uh it's actually kind of where planes like to like to fly. You know most most commercial jets are up there thirty five to forty thousand feet, and they want to get those stronger winds and kind of push them you know push them along. Or sometimes they're going against the wind too. But um, but basically that's where we're talking. You know all the way at the top of uh at the top of the troposphere where these uh, storms get but uh, yeah anvils if you see one you know and just look it up on uh, on uh, on the internet if you want to see a good picture of one because they're uh you see them a lot in the summertime yeah and these big storms can certainly produce uh some hail and i think mike was going to talk about hail and how exactly that forms and it's definitely not sleet correct 100 <laughs> percent. mike how the hell are you Oh, bad uh, jokes again. All right, sorry. Move on. I'm going to go My back bad. to bed, guys. Oh. You guys can take the the rest of the terms. I'm done. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. We need you. Come on. All right, it. I'll come back. Um, Perfect. Well, I have to edit this episode anyway, so might as well <laughs> listen to it. Um, so, yeah, it's not sleet, um, but it is ter- tricky because in the winter time you can get thunderstorms, and it's a gray area. But we're talking, like, middle of July, there's a thunderstorm, and pellets of ice are coming down from the sky more than likely if not very likely this is hail and how hail develops essentially is like brad said you know very cold aloft in the thunderstorm these are eight mile wide uh, tall clouds so up there it's very very cold if not well below freezing so you have raindrops that essentially the cloud there's lots of rain falling through the cloud uh but you have wind and we call these uh, updrafts where the wind is basically kind of going in the opposite direction up in the air and it's pushing these raindrops up into these very cold uh, air pockets. Um, and like I said, it's very cold. It's below freezing. So what happens naturally is these uh, super cooled rain droplets hit each other and they turn to ice. Um, and there's a little distinction, which you probably notice in your freezer. I don't know if you guys notice this, but do you know how there could be clear ice and cloudy ice? Uh, this is like not just for hail, but in general, if you notice you, your ice cubes are cloudy, if your ice cubes are clear. Yeah, actually, I, yeah, you do notice that sometimes. Well, yeah, what, why is that? Well, so, uh, I mean, for the ice cubes in the freezer, it's mostly because of the impurities. Essentially, um, there's not enough time for the, uh, the water molecules to kind of like, they, 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 ba- they, 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 ba- they bond together, I should say, very quickly. Um, and when that happens, a lot of air pockets, it's very foggy, it gets very like cluttered, and it doesn't have that nice clear look to it. But if the water droplets that, that freeze together happen over time very slowly, less impurities, you know, very like very pure water, like distilled water, will, will, will be clear if you, if, you, if you put it at the right temperature and you don't have it like instantly turned to ice. So a gradual freezing, so to speak. Same thing kind of hail, except... You know, you basically need the rain droplets, these super cool droplets to kind of gradually form into ice chunks. If they hit each other really quickly and it's uh, like these winds are really whipping up there and they're kind of running into each other. That's why you get like that very like uh, like the the white hailstones, the, the very the very like foggy hailstones versus the clear the clear centers that you sometimes see. Um, so it all depends on really like how fast the water droplets are moving in the thunderstorm. So that that's something that I found out that I didn't actually know. Um, but something interesting with hail. Um, but I mean, usually they build up bigger and, you know, just by riding those updrafts and downdrafts, correct? 
colder. You're, you're reaching a colder uh, level in the atmosphere. It doesn't have to fall as far either. Exactly. Um, you know, because, like, that's why Florida doesn't get a lot of hail. I mean, they do, but Florida gets tons of thunderstorms every single year. But not all of them have hail, if not a few. I mean, just this past week, we had a couple that had really large hail, which was very rare for, for Florida. But you got to think about it, because the cold air aloft is so high up, you need these hailstones to essentially be super large for them to actually make it to the ground. Um, so just something that I found interesting about, and some stuff that I looked up that I didn't know about hail that I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, and two, it, it also depends on the strength of your updraft, too. Um, because, you know, if we, you know, have a hailstone that's held up by a certain level of updraft, the stronger the updraft, the, the more it can hold basically up aloft in the clouds. So once that hailstone gets heavy enough and that updraft can't support it anymore, that's when it falls to the ground. Exactly. And actually, funny enough, when they're falling to the ground, did you know the average speed of a hailstone is 10 to 25 miles per hour? Wow. That's it? Well, yes. I thought it'd be but, faster than that. Um, like but then again, would. you want to add the, the weight and size to it. You have to add out. the weights, the, the also oh, the updrafts, you know. <laughs> but there have been reports of large hailstones falling to the ground as high as 100 miles per hour. So oh there you God. go, Mike. Uh, but imagine getting hit in the head with a hailstone at 100 miles per hour. Well, I wouldn't um, be here today then. No. That's why... <laughs> no, hail's dangerous. I mean, people don't realize that. Like, I mean, it dents cars and it ruins crops. But like, if you're out there without a helmet and you have like half dollar size hail coming down, I mean, it could hurt you. You can get a concussion, or if not, you know, get seriously injured. You know, like, I mean, so it's it's funny. You wear you wear a helmet outside when it's hailing, but it's not the worst idea. I'll tell you one thing you don't hear a lot about either. I mean, only because I play golf, but golf courses can get really damaged by I mean, because greens, if they get pelted by hail, I mean, it could take weeks before like the greens themselves can kind of heal them. There's nothing you can do. I mean, you can mow it down as much as you want, but there's still going to be dents in the green until it can actually kind of heal itself. Well, Brad, they just they just hire you and they to go out there with that little tool and uh, yeah, start. Oh, the, oh, the, <laughs> yeah. Let, let's fix let, let's fix the thousands of hail marks in the green and you know, you know what I'm talking about that little like double prong tool yeah it's you know, the just, ball yeah the ball yeah. mark fixer yeah yeah you just go out there and fix all the greens that way have you both seen that picture of the person that that like like it, it it's a funny meme online and like it's someone that has insurance but it doesn't cover like hail insurance so they covered their car with pool noodles oh yeah, yeah i think it, i saw something like that it's yeah. funny and it makes sense i mean if if you're out some some of these insurance uh, plans don't cover like, you know, hail and in places that get hail, you know, like out even in like the Midwest and like the, the, the plains, like they can get, I mean, softball sized hail. Imagine a softball sized hail hitting your car. I mean, we get pea sized hail here in the Northeast. It's common, but like, I mean, a, a baseball hitting your, your car, multiple baseballs. I mean, it's going to yeah, crack your gonna windshield. It's going to be problematic. Yeah. The largest hailstone though, can anyone guess? Yeah, oh. did, didn't. Well, I don't know where. Well, I know they just broke the record though a couple of years ago, right? The newest one. I think they did. So what I have on, on here, and it's probably not uh, up to date, but it was 18 inches in circumference, 18? eight inches in diameter. So like oh, eight, eight inches long is essentially what it is in South Dakota in 2010. Uh, but the circumference was, was 18. So you got to think about kind yeah. of how big that is from just the perspective from top to bottom. That's a large hailstone. Eight rung in my head for sure, um, but it must have been the diameter I was thinking of because that's typically how we measure hailstones is by diameter. That's like melon size. That's like it's like a like like honey honeydew size, right? Honeydew. Honeydew. Yeah. yeah. Honeydew. honeydew. Yeah. Maybe, I uh, mean, no. Uh, what's the other one that they grapefruit, usually grapefruit? I think is like the highest like technical term because that's four inches. But when you get above four inches. There's really not. And it's interesting because the National Weather Service has so many names like pea sized, penny, nickel, quarter, ping pong. Um, I think like egg sized hail is, is a thing. Egg sized. Never um, heard of egg before. Hen, hen size. egg size, yeah. Hen egg size, yes. Yeah. Um, also, mothball size apparently is half Moth? inch. I, so there's I no cantaloupe that. size in there. There's no cantaloupe. There's no <laughs> pumpkin sized. I mean, we could think of so many shapes and sizes. Uh, but again, I digress. By the way, don't you think cantaloupe kind of ruins a fruit salad? 
That's just me. But anyway. I like cantaloupe. <laughs> well, if you don't get married, and, and then, you know, you can't elope either. So. Uh, <laughs> all right. All right. Moving on. All right. Here we go. All right. Here's one that we've uh, we've discussed before, only because I like the name of it because I'm 12 years old. And, but, um, you know, the, the word's haboob. But I'm going to combine this. I'm going to combine this with gust front because really you can't have a haboob without a gust front, but you can't have a gust front without a haboob. So kind of what I'm getting at is basically if you've ever been outside and, and you know, you, you kind of hear thunder in the distance and you know that there's probably storms in the forecast and, and you're not in harm's way yet, but you can kind of hear thunder in the distance, which is basically when you're supposed to go inside anyway. Um, but if you look at the radar, you're like, oh, wow, yeah, I still got a, a storm's at least 15, 20 miles away. However, a lot of times, especially if it's a good line of storms, they'll push out a big gust of wind ahead of it. And it's really not the storm itself, but what's called a gust front. And this thing could get out five, six, 10 miles in front of the main line of storms. And you may get a, you know, you may go from a hot, steamy day to where there's hardly a breeze. All of a sudden you get this gust of wind that's 20, 30, even 40 miles per hour. And it just comes out of nowhere, basically. And you know that you, then you get that feeling like, Oh, a storm's coming, a storm's brewing, you know, but you know, again, that's not the storm itself, but sometimes you can get some good gusts ahead of the storm, which is called the gust front. And once in a while, the gust front itself can actually have stronger winds than the storm itself, because maybe the storms that are coming are collapsing. And that's why you're getting this gust front and they're kind of pushing these winds out ahead of it so far, but uh, usually it doesn't cause damage, but you can kind of feel it. You, you know, you know, when there's a, where there's a front uh, or there's a storm coming. Yeah, that was, that's what I was going to say is uh, if that gust front gets too far removed from the thunderstorm, that's a pretty good sign that the, the thunderstorm will start collapsing and weakening. Right, right. Because it's more stable then, yeah. Right. And there's because there's nothing for the thunderstorm to feed off of, no good warm uh, air and, and, and all that. I, I like a good gust front too. But sometimes you can see that on radar too. You, you can yes. see that little bit of a gust front line coming out from the main thunderstorm, and kind of, you know, when when us as for, forecasters see that, you know, a lot of times I'm going, okay, let's see how far this thing goes, because if it keeps going, you know, this thunderstorm might, you know, die out, and now I don't have to warn anybody about a severe uh, event coming in. Now at the same time, you know, we well we kind of call it like the outflow. It's more of a meteorological term, but sometimes. You know, you get these storms. Like, let's take like Pennsylvania, for example, because we're in this area in New Jersey. Maybe you have a line of storms coming through eastern Pennsylvania and you get that good outflow or gust front. Then as it's traveling across New Jersey towards the coast, it can sometimes interact with the sea breeze, which is actually pushing inland westward from off the Atlantic. And a lot of times in the summer, you'll get these uh, interactions between the gust front from the west and the sea breeze moving west uh, inland and you know you'll get a new line of storms that develops right there along the the sea breeze so um, you know that's that's kind of a neat thing to watch uh, on active days but again over to Haboob uh, it's more of a southwestern U.S. term uh, you'll get this uh, in the middle middle east uh, you know where you have a lot of sand and desert areas and basically what it is it's a dust storm but it's a dust storm that's kicked up by the outflow or the gust front of the thunderstorm. So like I said earlier, you can't have a haboob without a gust front, but you can have a gust front without a haboob. But either way, you know, you get into that haboob and it creates this dust and dust storm area where you can't see more than, you know, maybe a couple of hundred yards in front of you. And Phoenix, you've seen before, they've kind of getting, you get swallowed up by a gust front. You can see it from the air. I've seen drone footage of it. And it's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing to see these kind of things happen. And, and they just kind of travel their way across, you know, these desert areas. Um, I was going to ask two things, Brad. Um, one, do you know where the term haboob comes from? It's an Arabic word. I know that. But I think it means like blasting or drifting. Yes, That's, exactly. Yeah. And something else, too, that I just looked up. Um, so the, the, the term haboob was not actually used in the United States until 1971. Really? Um, yes. So apparently there was, a, you know, dust storms obviously been happening before that. But uh, a group of, uh, I, I don't know if they're meteorologists or scientists, but uh, the article that I read said that um, in Arizona in 1971, there was a dust storm so big. Uh, I mean, you know, a really big dust storm kind of in comparison with the one in the, the ones in the Middle East. 
um, and and they proposed calling it a haboob. Like we should call these haboobs instead of dust storms. <laughs> and I guess the meteorological society, American meteorological society, had an issue in their in their uh, I guess their um, in their in their bulletin talking about how they're very similar. And ever since then, you know, uh, most of these big dust storms out in the southwestern United States have been called haboobs. Wow. Before that, they weren't really called haboobs. They were just said, yeah, dust storms. But uh, you know. There you go. There you go. Another fun fact. Well, anyway, with so much talk about thunderstorms um, and things associated with them. Yeah, I mean, you guys just been taking the floor the whole time, it seems like. Um, but I'll, I'll stop talking. Like <laughs> there, uh, uh, There's a way to measure how strong a thunderstorm can get. And maybe some of our listeners have heard about it before, but it's called CAPE. And basically what that stands for is Convective Available Potential Energy. Wait, um, I thought it was the thing that superheroes wear. Mm, no. Cape? Capes? Yeah, right? yeah. No? No, 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 no. Not nah, superheroes. Not the guy on Seinfeld that was uh, the uh, <laughs> accountant or whatever of... Uh, Costanza's dad there, but uh, um, anyway, that might be too deep for some people who haven't seen Seinfeld that long. But anyway, convective available potential energy. So it's basically measuring the amount of energy available um, for convection or thunderstorm development. So basically, it's going to try to predict the vertical speed of an updraft. So the more cape you have, the better chance you have if a thunderstorm does form that it'll develop into a severe thunderstorm or a very strong thunderstorm. And typically when we're talking about Cape values, anything over a thousand joules, uh, it's measured in joules per kilogram. So any, any time it's over a thousand, um, that's typically a day where you're considering, Hey, these could be pretty good thunderstorms. And a lot of times these can go well over 2,000 joules and even four or 5,000 joules on really unstable days. Um, and that's kind of what it's measuring. It's measuring the, you know, the potential of a thunderstorm to become very strong. Um, so that's something I want to really get across, though, is the potential. Um, because if there's nothing to trigger a thunderstorm, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> And well, and we use that as a tool also when we're trying to forecast. Uh... Yeah, I mean, and you need a trigger. You could have all the cape in the world. You could have 5,000 joules of cape. And if there's nothing to trigger it, if there's no gust front like Brad talked about or a sea breeze boundary or a cold front or, or something like that, um, you'll just never get a thunderstorm to pop. So it's it's quite an interesting uh, thing that we look for when we're, we're trying to forecast severe weather. Um, but if you ever see anybody talk about Cape, that's what they're talking about. It's just a measure of the instability in the atmosphere um, that could be utilized by any thunderstorms. Yeah, and we again, we we see that all the time, and you know, especially as we get into June, July, and August, you know, the heart of the of the severe weather, and, and you get these juicy thunderstorms, and that that's uh, definitely something we look at on our on our prognosticating. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, if you want a high Cape day or you're looking for a lot of Cape, you usually want it to be, you know, warm and you also want it to be very, uh, or a lot of moisture in the atmosphere too. Um, so with a lot of moisture and a lot of warmth and a cold air mass aloft, that's how you get a lot of Cape going on. Hmm. Yeah, cold. Wow. Well, I should say it's warm at the surface, so don't get that confused with when I said the cold air aloft. Um, so people are probably like, wait, you just said warm and then it had to be cold. What are you talking about? Right. Well, <laughs> but cold way up there. Um, we were talking about know. that before. Yeah. The thunderstorms like that cold air aloft. Yeah. 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 We're talking up, uh, you know, above 15,000, 20, 30,000 feet where we want it to be cold. Well, I think that brings us to Mike again. Yes. Um, so in the theme of thunderstorms and even not just thunderstorms, but just any sort of event that, uh, that produces rain, um, have you ever noticed, and I'm sure you both have, and this is a very common thing that you could see, but sometimes when it's a nice day, you look out in the distance, there's, you know, thunderstorm or, or just clouds in general, and you see what looks to be rain falling in the distance. And it, and if you look up from like your, your, your vision, 
you could almost see like the rain falling in like a column and then it starts to dissipate or like fade out as you go closer to the ground. So this is something that is interesting because um, it uh, it happens a lot, not just in thunderstorms and, and, and rainstorms, but just in general with, with any sort of precipitation falling. It could happen in the wintertime too. We call it Virga. And Virga is essentially just precipitation, to put it simply, that doesn't make it to the ground. Um, usually when you look at a radar app on your phone, sometimes you'll see that it picks up rain and it, or, or snow, depending on what season you're in. And it's, you know, sometimes you, you might go out there and look at your phone and look at the sky and say, hey, what gives, guys? It, my, my, my app says it's supposed to be raining right now, but I don't feel a single drop. So that essentially is kind of what happens is there's just so much dry air between the column where the rain is falling or, or the snow is falling, depending on how cold it is, and the ground. And sometimes on a very dry day, and we'll get to dew points uh, in a little bit, and then I'll explain kind of how that works. But sometimes the dew points are, are, are just kind of too low, and, and the, the difference in moisture from the, from the ground and the, and the air, air above us is just too great, and, and the precip just kind of fizzles out. And it just doesn't have enough moisture to carry it along. So something interesting. And uh, it's an interesting uh, phenomenon that happens a lot. And people always ask, well, why is it not raining? And uh, there you go. That's that's the reason. Yeah, just too much dry air at the surface. And it just evaporates on you before it actually reaches. Pretty much, um, yeah. Ground. And uh, sometimes, uh, you know, kind of going with Brad's anvil topic from earlier, you can even see some Virga in that instance, when you get the, um, the anvil blowing off uh, very high thunderstorms, you know, up there and it'll look like on radar, you can sometimes see like, it looks like a light rain or something spreading exactly. over the area, but it's not, it's just, you know, the, the anvil of the thunderstorm and stuff getting blown off the top and it never reaches the ground. So it's not like Mike said, uh, it's not only a wintertime pheno- phenomena. Yeah, and, and if you're in a plane, you're probably driving through it or driving through it. You're trying to drive through a cloud. <laughs> you can drive through a cloud, though. Oh, Just... yeah, technically you can. Fog yeah. is technically the, a cloud that's yeah. next to the surface. But if you're if you're in a plane and, and the plane is low enough in, in, in the rain shaft, the plane, you can actually, you know, you know <laughs> have rain. But, um... Does the rain in Spain fall mainly on the plane? Well, it depends, Brad. If 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 it's uh, too dry, that's true too. <laughs> it's not gonna fall. See, uh, there we go. Brad with his dead jokes over I know. and over again. All right, Brad. Well, g- g- give us the next term. And I, all right, and all right. Well, this one, this one's kind of a neat one because again, we're gonna stay on the focus of thunderstorms here, and uh, a lot of times, I guess the, the biggest issue, especially here in the Northeast, is the the, the well, we get flooding too from thunderstorms, but also, you know, we have wind damage. Uh, yeah, we have hail too, but you know, winds are basically the the biggest, uh, I guess, uh, reason why we have severe storms here in the Northeast. Um, it, it's not really a protocol uh, to have a severe thunderstorm to produce flooding. Flooding is just a result of it. Um, but the reason why a lot of times we have severe thunderstorm watches or warnings are because of straight line winds. And basically what that is, is, is it's the gust front that we were talking about. But this is more the downburst part of the thunderstorm. And what happens is it, it's so fast. And, and sometimes you get these winds uh, that Mike were talking about earlier with the hail, you know, gets so up and down, up and down, updrafts, downdrafts. Eventually the downdrafts may usually win. They usually win out. And that's kind of where the storm may actually start to collapse. But at the same time, these winds are so strong and they're moving vertically downward towards the ground that when they hit the ground, there's only one place for them to go. And that's for them to spread out parallel to the, uh, you know, the ground. And basically that's your straight line wind. And if, if, if it exceeds 58 miles per hour, then the storm's classified uh, really by the National Weather Service as severe. And, uh, you know, these these winds can create, you know, cause a lot of damage, especially when you get to 50, 60 miles per hour. And it's not unheard of with a severe thunderstorm, you know, in the summertime to create these kinds of, of, of wind speeds. Now, you know, a lot of folks will say, oh, a tornado had to come through here. Look at the uprooted trees and and look at all the damage here to the side of the house. But, you know, a lot of times folks will think that there was a tornado that came through. And usually the the thing that and and only because I've covered this before, I've been to a tornado outbreak afterwards. And the difference is if there's trees that are snapped, like in the middle of the tree. 
that's usually tornado damage where they're you're just knocked down right and they're just like kind of sawed off. If trees are uprooted, you know, and from the ground up, usually that's just from the straight line winds. But, um, you know, the, these winds also caused by a microburst, uh, you know, same kind of idea. The wind is forced down so fast out of the storms that it's pushed outward once it hits the ground. And this is what causes the, uh, the, the strong wind gusts and straight line winds and, you know, the damage that goes along with it. But, uh, you know, we, we've seen a lot of instances of this, uh, you know, almost every summer. Yeah. And most of the time when we deal with straight line winds, a, a good indicator, too, is that everything is kind of laid over in the same direction. You know, you might see a cornfield or something like that. It's everything's kind of laid over in the same direction, you know, where the trees are knocked down the same direction. But if you had something like a, a tornado, then you would see um, some sort of, uh, you know, uh, turning in that direction or, or they, the, the trees fell down in, in, in opposite directions or something. And that's just showing the circulation around, um, you know, that, that tornado. And, and you'll see on TV, a lot of times the weather channel will go to a area that got devastated by tornadoes and you'll see, you'll see the devastation. I mean, it's, it's almost completely, you can't, you, you don't, I mean, you can easily see the difference between straight line winds and where there was a tornado. And, and as I said earlier, you know, personally, I was set, when I used to work at uh, the TV station down in Charleston, they sent me down to Lady Lake, Florida after an outbreak. And I can't remember. I know it was in February. I can't remember the year because the Super Bowl was going on. But I, I was down there firsthand to, to actually investigate it and went down there for the station, and do some reporting for it. And it was just as soon as I got down there and you got out of the car, all you smell is thick pine. And the trees are just snapped right in the middle. I mean, it was just flattened. And it's just, you could, I mean, I saw the difference. And after that, I just know there's a difference between tornadoes. And, and that's when the Weather Service comes out and they'll, they'll investigate an area, maybe in South Jersey or somewhere, you know, in the Northeast that may have had a tornado. And usually that'll be the difference between whether it was, a, you know, uh, straight line winds or, it's, you know, it was a tornado damage. So, but, um, you know, most of the time it's straight line damage for us. Yeah, I mean, and in order to get that type of wind damage from straight line winds, um, you know, you need a lot of wind shear. Uh, and that's the next term I wanted to talk about was wind shear. Um, so basically what wind shear is, is a change of speed or direction with height as you go up into the atmosphere. Um, and that's important to thunderstorms because if you didn't have any wind shear, Basically, what would happen is the cloud would develop, the storm would start rising, and if there's no shear to blow that cloud one way or another, it, it just goes directly up, and it goes directly down with the downdraft, and that rain-cooled air basically kills the source of the uh, warm, moist air uh, for that thunderstorm, and it just kind of collapses on itself. You know, these are typically called pulse thunderstorms, actually. Um, a lot of times you can get these in Florida, you know, where they just kind of go up and Hard down. to predict. Yeah, that's for sure. Where they're going to pop up. They're basically pop up thunderstorms, but they get intense. Right, exactly. And sometimes these can go severe. It's not <clears throat> totally out of the realm of possibility. Usually you need a lot of cape, like we were talking about earlier, to get that to happen. But typically the severe would be very quick and, and over, over, you know, fast. Um, but in a sheared environment, um, if we have a lot of wind shear going on, what happens is, is that thunderstorm cloud starts to tilt um, because the winds higher up in the atmosphere are going faster than what they are at the surface. And what that does is that allows the updraft to tilt and stay away from that rain-cooled air. So the thunderstorm can still suck in all that, you know, warm air and all that moisture that feeds it and makes it bigger. Um, and there's no contamination from that rain-cooled air. So that's what helps these thunderstorms grow. If you have a lot of wind shear, they can grow and they can sustain themselves into lines and, and into segments and to uh, maybe even a derecho if the things are right. Derecho, um, not the D word. Yeah, I know. This is just a, basically a prolonged windstorm from um, uh, a convective complex that works through you know, the area. Um, but... But yeah, that's what you need with, with the wind shear. You need a good amount of wind shear if you want really strong, long-lasting thunderstorms. Not that anybody wants that. <laughs> but if you're forecasting that, um, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for all that cape. You're looking for you know a lot of wind shear. 
Um, and sometimes with wind shear, it's like I said, it's not only a speed shear situation, it could be a directional shear where maybe the winds out of the surface are coming out of the south, but aloft they're coming more out of the westerly direction. Or, or, so that will cause a turn within the atmosphere, or it could even turn that cloud or cause some rotation within that cloud. And that's when we start having trouble with tornadoes because once you get a cloud that starts to circulate and rotate you get something called the supercell and those are the ones that can spawn tornadoes not your typical you know squall lines usually ahead of the main line itself discrete storms as we call them yes yeah usually they're on their own too yeah so yeah wind shear super important to uh getting big thunderstorms when we head into um you know the spring and summer oh and it looks like i'm still up Look at hey. you, Mike. Yeah, two for one special. <laughs> two for one. Okay. So we're talking about all kinds of ingredients with a thunderstorm. So, hey, I think this kind of fits. So we talked about cape, which is the, the energy available for a thunderstorm to develop. We talked about wind shear, which helps sustain thunderstorms and make them stronger. But we still need some triggers, right? We still need something to make that uh, atmosphere pop and make the cloud and make the storm. Um, so typically that's done by a cold front or gust fronts or sea breezes like we talked about earlier. Um, however, there's something out in the plains and a lot of times in Texas that happens. Yeah, Texas some, is a hot spot. Yeah, it's something called a dry line. So what a dry line is, it, it's not like a really bad joke that Brad tells. <laughs> but uh, you mean that was good. That was a really dry punchline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely not that. What a dry line is is in weather. Sorry, Brad, I had to take that one out. That's right. Um, but it, what a dry line is in, in weather is basically a, a demarcation between much drier air that's typically coming uh, off you know, the desert southwest in the United States and more moist air that's coming into the Gulf and in through Texas. Um, and they kind of meet right there at the dry line where that warm air meets that high moisture air or sorry the dry air meets the moist air and um so what happens is why does that create a thunderstorm it's just a difference in the amount of humidity in the air so why would that be a big deal right um so what you need to know is that air with a lot of moisture in it is more buoyant or less dense than air than dry air so the dry air kind of cuts underneath it because it's really dense and pushes into that um, more buoyant moist air, which kind of floats higher in the atmosphere. It gets pushed above that dense dry air. So that's kind of how it works here. Um, it's almost like how uh, a cold front moves in and cold air undercuts the warm air. Uh, same idea here because the dry air is more dense. It runs into that moist air. Um, which is more buoyant, and that's forced aloft. And that gives you that little trigger to develop thunderstorms. And a lot of times, these dry line situations can really trigger some big I say, they, they usually trigger severe weather down there. Yeah, it's something that storm chasers really look for in, in, in Texas and, and, and in the Plain States, you know, when they're, when they're looking to chase those big storms and those big supercells. Um, and sometimes even there's something called a dry line bulge, what they're kind of looking for hmm. too. And that actually is, is a place that's a, a little more, uh, apt to fire a thunderstorm. And, and it basically just looks like a, you know, uh, just like a, a push further out from the dry line. So it's not straight. It's kind of curved and pushing out into the moist air a little bit more. Yes. Yeah, so but I've never heard that word before. That's see, I even, I, even I learned things. A dry that. line bulge. bulge. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, yeah. Did you say a Bowie? <laughs> a David like a, Bowie? Like a David Bowie? David Bowie. Okay. These well, you know what? And, and well, well, one thing while we're on the dry lines, you know, we're talking about pulse thunderstorms and, and, you know, sometimes we have an idea that it's going to be an active afternoon, but we can't say for sure that there's going to be a thunderstorm right here or a thunderstorm right here. And again, we'll know a couple of days in advance. Usually these dry line setups, I mean, I've seen on Twitter and some of these, uh, you know, plain 
planes like these storm chasers, like you said, Mike, they know this thing five, six days ahead of a time when they have an, it's a good setup. They'll say, wow, check out the setup here for Eastern Texas on day five, you know, next Saturday. I mean, they'll have an idea already that there's going to be an outbreak, uh, you know, that far out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it, it's definitely something that they're looking for and definitely something that is the potential trigger for the thunderstorms that they're looking for. Um, you know, but uh, once we get those storms to form, then we got to warn for them, right, Mike? Mike Priante with the final term, it looks like. Is it the final term? Mm, no, it's not the final term. Brad's just jumping ahead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Are you no, trying to right, get out right. of here or something? You got no, something somewhere I thought to we were be? La- Sounds like Brad wants to leave. Hey, I mean, I wanted to. I don't even know if I wanted to be here in the first place. And here I am. So <laughs> yeah, nice. Oh, you wanted to be here. Come on now. Of course I did. Um, yeah, but, uh, no, yeah. So we have watches and warnings and also advisories, but essentially, you know, I, when I like talking about this, I like to compare it to, and I'm sure you probably both have heard about this, uh, a taco watch and a taco warning. No, you haven't. No. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I see this on Twitter. Cupcake watch and a cupcake warning. And (laughs) it's very similar. So it's actually smart though. Yeah. It's very smart for those that don't really want to hear the technical terms. So I'm going to uh, talk about the technical term first, and then we'll we'll talk about the fun. The fun so if uh, I put taco in my next heads up notification, you know why? Well, <laughs> it, it would be fun. Um, a, a taco watch has been issued for your area. Yeah. Um, anyway, Mike, out. go. Uh, yeah. Okay. So watches essentially mean when the conditions for an event, whether it's a a severe thunderstorm watch or a winter storm watch it means the conditions for that event are around it's it's possible that this could happen but it doesn't mean that this is occurring it means that the conditions are 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 there a warning means that the conditions are there and there is an event that is occurring that is either reaching that criteria or is it right about to. So winter storm warnings, meaning that, well, it's snowing and it's probably going to reach the criteria that was issued in the watch or a severe thunderstorm warning means there's a thunderstorm that is reaching or about to reach the criteria that was listed in the watch. And to make it simpler for the listeners, uh, a taco watch means that you have all of your ingredients for your tacos. You have the shells, you have the meats, you have the tomatoes, the lettuce, the cheese. It's all on the table, but it's not a taco. It's just ingredients. A taco warning means, uh-oh, watch out. The Someone made a taco. It's right there. The, the meat and the cheese and the lettuce. It's all in the taco. And it's on the I table. Like and there you go. It's it's a taco. You know, it's, it's uh, a cupcake watch and warning is very similar. Same idea. The, the flour, the eggs, everything's on the table, but it's not a cupcake. But then you put it in the oven, and out comes a cupcake. Oh, now it's a warning. We got cupcakes. All right. We got enough with the taco warning. My goodness. Hey, <laughs> I like tacos. Do you put guacamole on tacos, by the way? I like guacamole, yes. I like guacamole on tacos. I mm. just eat the avocado by itself. <laughs> uh, boring. <laughs> Avocado yeah, toast. Well, that's avocado. the healthier option, correct? Yeah, yeah, it is. Because I well, I mean, guacamole. You you put a, uh, you know, you have like the the lime juice. You have uh, salt. You have you have cilantro and, and onions. But honestly, guacamole is not unhealthy. I mean, no, it's you not. put a couple of things. I think the only thing that makes it unhealthy is like putting salt and like lime in it. Like maybe it's acidic. But probably all the chips that you eat with it. It's probably the chips. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> chips probably are what's not good for you. But the avocado is very high in fiber. It's very good for you. So good job, Brad. Yeah, I like that taco warning and watch. I'll have to remember that in the future if anybody asks. Yeah. So uh, I think I think based off of that, um, I think we are now uh, going to be talking about a dew point watch, right, Mike? Yeah. Well, there is no watches for dew point. That's for sure. <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> That would be kind of every day. Um, yeah, that's true. But um, anyway, uh, no, what the dew point is, I just want to bring up the dew point, you know, because we're talking about moisture in the air. And the dew point is a really good measure of how much moisture is in the air. Um, and basically the dew point is the temperature at which you can get condensation. Um, so that's 
pretty much how it is when the temperature falls to the dew point um, and you get condensation on things. So, um, you know, think about um, almost like a can of soda or something like that or or your favorite adult beverage, how it gets the uh, the water on the outside of the of the glass or the can, you know, that that's what's happening there. You know, the, the temperature hit the dew point and the water condenses, the water vapor condenses onto the can surface. So that's what the dew point is. Um, and it is very important. We like to talk more about dew point than we do relative humidity um, when we get into the summertime months, because sometimes the relative humidity can seem quite low. Um, maybe it's like 52%. Yeah, but, it's not a it's not a great uh, way to measure it. Right, yeah. right, and that's and that's you know we we want to it obviously gets very humid in the summer and, and we want a good way to measure that. So that's why we like to use the dew point a little bit more um, because put it this way, if you have an air temperature of of 90 and the dew point is 70, your hum, your humidity is like 52%. Your relative yeah, it's humidity. Impressive outside. However, that is an awful day. <laughs> um, and if you want to think about it in terms of, well, what what dew points in the summer are are something you should be you know concerned about? Well, if it's between fifty and sixty degrees, um, it's typically a comfortable day. Um, you know that dew point temperature really doesn't cause any problems. Um, when you start getting to a dew point of sixty to sixty five. You know, it's starting to get a little bit sticky out there. Um, and then once you hit 65 to 70, that's unpleasant. Anything above 70 is just downright gross. I mean, there's really no other way to explain it. You just don't want to go outside <laughs> anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's just like you go out and you feel like you're underwater. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I, maybe I have to go out to the desert southwest and experience some of that dry heat because all the humidity and moisture in the air here on the East coast is, is pretty unbearable sometimes. And, uh, you know, we got a good way to measure that though. Right. And that's heat index, correct? Yeah. So Mike, I mean, heat index is uh, something that's very interesting and it's, it's a good way of kind of, as you mentioned, explaining just kind of how hot it really feels. It's not really like a measured air temperature. You don't really are, you're not really getting this through a thermometer, but it's sort of what your body thinks the air temperature is. And it, it's a combination of, like you said, it's the humidity in the air and the actual air temperature and, and, and also kind of what your body feels. So the skin, as we know, when we get hot, we, we, we sweat and, and the sweat evaporates and that's how we cool our bodies and it prevents our bodies from overheating. But sometimes when you have enough moisture in the air, the sweat on your body sticks around and that kind of causes your, your body to not be able to cool down as easily. So you end up basically staying hotter than what you would with a drier air mass. Um, that's kind of what heat index is trying to portray. So when you have, you know, a dew point of 72 degrees and it's 90 degrees out, you know, it's going to feel pretty hot. I mean, I'm looking at the chart right now and a dew point of 70 and an air temperature of 90 is about like a 97 degree heat index so that's as if you were standing out on a 97 degree day um but again it's all relative and essentially it, it's really it doesn't really make a difference in terms of what your thermometer is measuring it's really just the term that we use as humans to kind of say okay this is bad for our bodies it's so hot and humid that we have to make sure that we continue to take fluids because it means that you're sweating more because your body doesn't know what to do. You know, it's, it's trying to evaporate and it's not happening. So it's like, let's <laughs> right. sweat more. Let's yeah. sweat more. Let's get more of the water out of our bodies. And it's like, no, no, that's bad. Right. And that's an, that's an important thing that, uh, you know, our listeners should know is that this, we sweat because we want the sweat to evaporate off our skin and evaporation is a cooling process. So that's how our bodies try to cool themselves down. You know, we don't pant like dogs. <laughs> we, we sweat, no, you know, that's um, our, that's our panting. It's the sweat. Yeah. So, um, so that's what the problem is when you have a very humid day, there's so much moisture in the air is that that evaporation process doesn't happen as quickly. All right, then you can get heat exhaustion, and the worst no. case scenario, you get heat stroke, and then you have issues. Yeah, yeah, 
I can't believe I didn't get that. Yeah, any of those heat exhaustions or heat strokes. Like I'm maybe thinking back did, to like yeah. I'm thinking back to my uh, landscaping days, or or maybe when I was you know playing football and doing double sessions or something like that. Um, with those some of those hot days, man, maybe I did have it. I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm messed up today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, one other final thing with heat index is you can actually use the relative humidity to determine heat index. So it's not just dew point, but I think as meteorologists, I think it's better to portray the dew point because when someone says on like, uh, you know, on the news or somewhere you hear, uh, oh yeah, we have a 90% relative humidity day. And it's like, okay, but what's the dew point? Because if it's like 45 degrees and the air temp is like 40 five and it's like a hundred percent relative humidity that's not humid yeah 45 degree dew point is your body you're not sweating when it's 45 degrees right. out unless you're like really working hard and you know that's but, awful damp and clammy though i'll tell you that yeah damp and <laughs> clammy but it's not enough to get you to, to to get heat exhaustion um so but it's something that you can definitely measure but again dew point relative humidity are both things you could use plus the temperature to get the heat index so well, that's 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 really great. I mean, I think we covered all our weather terms here. And uh, Brad, you have one more last uh, dry joke to uh, tell us here. No, before we're I out? think I'm. You I tapped out. Good. Yeah, I think I've, <laughs> I've uh, you know, good because another joke. I was gonna walk out the door. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're all gonna walk out the door right now because that's about the end of our show here. So yeah. oh, man. <laughs> it was a good time. I'm glad you guys had me on. Yeah, I'm thanks for being again. here. Yeah, maybe lose some weather terms for in the fall. You never know. Maybe um, we have, we're running out of terms, though. No, you never run yeah. out of weather terms. No, oh, there's so many terms. We should Man. do we should do a, a a podcast on joking jokes and weather or weather and jokes. Ooh, I kind of like that. Like what? What was that book? Uh, oh no, what was that movie? Yeah. Cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Yeah, no, but there there was. I thought somebody had a book in the office one time of uh, oh yeah jokes. We'll have to oh, go. Man, have to go I got to go find that. Um, but anyway. Uh, that's it for our episode for this week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget that we have a new podcast every two weeks here on the Weather Lounge. So be sure to come back and listen. And also, rate our podcast. That helps us push our show forward. And don't forget uh, to visit WeatherWorks on social media. And as always, find us at weatherworksinc.com. So that's it for this episode. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. 